0: We're going to turn now to God's word and uh, it's appropriate that we should be uh, pondering and considering uh, the resurrection this morning. It is Easter Sunday and there's certainly many parts of scripture that are rich and interesting we could turn to and uh, one of the things places that I love to consider the resurrection is actually a story that many of you would know called the road to Emmaus and the road to Emmaus is something like a living parable Uh, Throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus is teaching things and he's demonstrating it. And uh, what we have in Luke 24 is something not unlike this where Jesus did something and then he's going to demonstrate it to us. What is the meaning of this resurrection? And so we're going to uh, read this passage and then we'll spend a few moments reflecting on it as well. So if you have a bulletin, it's printed there and um, uh, you also, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to read along as well. This is Luke 24:13 through 35. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about 7 miles from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, "What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk?" And they stood still, still and looking sad. The one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel, And yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back, saying that they had seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with you went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which he was going. He acted as if he was going farther, and they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is uh, toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while we talked, burn within us while he talked with us on the road? while well, he opened to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who had gathered them together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and they appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and uh, that you make yourself known to us through it. We pray that it would be to us now a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. Through it, we pray that we would find ourselves being more converted to your gospel and to your mission in the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to spend a few minutes exploring this passage and what it says about the meaning of the resurrection. And um, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of context for uh, uh, this passage. It it might seem a little sudden. What had been happening uh, really throughout this whole gospel is uh, Jesus had been carrying out his ministry, and in his final days, uh, he was arrested as a criminal, and he was tried, and then he was crucified and buried. And his followers are left wondering, uh, is this all there is to it? Uh, We thought there was going to be more, something more glorious, something grander. Did we get duped in all this? And on the third day of Jesus being buried, uh, we find the answer to what had happened with the disciples' questions. And there were some women going to the tomb, and they were uh, surprised by angels who had told them that Jesus was, in fact, uh, risen from the dead. And if you were a reader, reading this through maybe for the first time, and you suddenly came to the section, Jesus is risen from the dead, there's angels announcing this, you might be left thinking to yourself, what is the meaning of all this? What is the meaning of this resurrection? And our next passage, the one we've just read, is the answer to that in some way. And what we're going to look at is, is three different aspects of what the resurrection means for the followers of Jesus. And the first one is this. The resurrection holds meaning for everyone. Maybe it sounds kind of plain, sounds kind of simple, but we see this very clearly illustrated in our passage here. Let me read to you how it opens in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Jesus had risen from the dead. What was happening was that these women had gone to go see Jesus to visit his tomb, and he was nowhere to be found, and they were wondering where Jesus was. And the answer to where Jesus was was that he was actually on a road to a village named Emmaus. Now, you may be wondering what is the significance of Emmaus, and the answer is absolutely nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing is significant or important about Emmaus. Uh, Scholars spend a lot of time doing scholarly things, thinking about Emmaus. Uh, They think they maybe know where it is, maybe they don't. But the big idea is that Emmaus is an incredibly unimportant town. And that Jesus, on the day that he has resurrected, the day he has literally changed the course of human history, can be found walking on a dusty road to an unimportant village. That's where Jesus is. And you might be wondering to yourself, who are these two men that Jesus is uh, in conversation with? Who did he seek out on this wildly important day? And the answer is, they're also unimportant men. (laughs) One of them is unnamed. We don't even know his name. The other, we do know his name, but it turns out he's not an important person either. So here we have Jesus conquering sin and death. Where is he? The tomb is empty, where is he? He is talking to unimportant people in an unimportant place. That's what Jesus is doing on his resurrection. We find the same idea being carried out in just the previous passage with the two women that were visiting, or excuse me, three women that were visiting Jesus uh, they were the first ones to give the report about the resurrection to the disciples, to others. And this uh, piece may be kind of easily missed on us for 21st century uh, folks like us. Uh, women in the first century would have had a kind of more of a second-class role. In fact, uh, in many cases, they were not allowed to offer testimony or reports in the modern, in the court system. And what you have here is Jesus providentially selecting these women to offer the first reports or the first testimony about what had just happened in human history and to his life. Jesus had intentionally selected men and women who didn't matter a lot to actually associate with, to actually share the events of the resurrection with. And the resurrection was intended in many ways, intended uh, for everyone. It's something that matters for everyone. And this can be contrasted with the modern uh, religions uh, that were popular at the time of Jesus in the first century. Uh, One of them that would have been popular in the Mediterranean world was the mystery religions. Uh, These were kind of what they sound like. They involved a lot of secrecy, a lot of layers of membership. They were emotive. They were ritualistic. And they were highly elitist. And if you were a a religious follower of these mystery religions, uh, you were likely a male uh, you were likely uh, fairly wealthy. You had some sort of importance in your society. In fact, many of these mystery religions had stories about deities that died and then came back to life. And so it's an interesting contrast, uh, the first century uh, Christian message with many of the broader religions that uh, existed in their in their uh, culture, uh, where Jesus is incredibly interested in everybody that he comes across. Uh, he's not doesn't have an elitist view of who's in and who's out. And so when Jesus uh, seeks out these two men, uh, he wants to make it uh, clear that uh, he wants to communicate something with them. He wants to have a conversation with them. And uh, what this is, what the content of this conversation is, leads to our second point, which is the meaning of the resurrection not only is applicable to everybody, but the meaning of the resurrection actually is what ties together the Bible. Uh, That because of the resurrection... We were able to understand the continuity and trajectory of Scripture. And here's a conversation that Jesus was having with these men in verse 24. Some of them went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them. All the scriptures uh, in scripture, all the things concerning himself. Uh, These disciples were uh, in the middle of a conversation, retracing the previous day's events, and Jesus comes up to them, and uh, they were confused and uncertain and doubting about everything. And then Jesus corrects them about what their interpretation was on the events. And he doesn't do something particularly glorious or miraculous. Uh, What he does is he actually takes them into the Bible, which would have meant the Old Testament at this time, and he teaches them uh, how to understand the re- resurrection uh, through the Old Testament. And he makes a bold statement that all, the, all of Moses and all the prophets uh, had major elements that were pointing to him in some way. And we might be left wondering, well, what are these parts of the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus? And uh, the answers can be found throughout kind of all the Gospels. All the Gospels, all the time, are pointing to Jesus in major ways, or drawing from the Old Testament. I'll give you a couple quick examples. Uh, A major thing you find uh, in the Gospels is that uh, Moses is, uh, back in his writings, forecasting a prophet uh, who would be a big deal. Somebody who would come and speak on behalf of God and uh, lead the people rightly, bring them into greater obedience to the law. And throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus is described as this kind of prophetic personality. Somebody who is actually going to teach people about God's personality, his character, uh, his ways in the world, and actually do it in a way that leads to greater faithfulness and, and fidelity to God's law. Another major, major part that you find as uh, a theme in the Gospels is that there was an anticipated king who would carry on the legacy of David. He would carry on the legacy, perfect it, uh, help it kind of reach some sort of uh, perfection. And you find that in the Gospels, Jesus is bringing out uh, an internal kingdom that would have the justice and mercy akin to what David was called to, but sometimes failed at. And so the stories of Jesus are are full of all sorts of ways that we discover him uh, being connected through the Old Testament. And I think this is helpful for us because the Bible is a big book and it can be sometimes hard to get our heads around it. And there's not only particular passages that can be confusing, but it can even sometimes be more confusing to think, how does this all connect with each other, and how does this all relate? And uh, what we're told through this passage is that Jesus, through the resurrection, gives meaning and continuity to, uh, really, the Scriptures, uh, that they were uh, anticipating Jesus in some ways. And Jesus is uh, not only something that's foretold or forecasted in certain parts of the Bible, but he actually adds another chapter to the Bible, You could kind of maybe think of the the grand story of the Bible having different kind of chapters in it. Um, There's a creation of the world. Uh, Humanity is in perfect fellowship with God, uh, given creative projects to undertake in God's world. Uh, Humanity falls short of this calling in that God uh, selects a special people who are uh, kind of unimportant off the radar like these men and like these uh, women. And he gives them a special relationship with him and then gives... Uh, israel a task to actually bless the world and israel for centuries uh, really had a really cute sense of this burden uh, but regularly failed at it and had a number of missteps in a lot of different ways and after centuries of this we're left kind of thinking is israel going to get it right are they going to really live out their calling and bring the hope and healing to the world that they were tasked with and uh, what jesus does is he actually comes in as another chapter to the story to answer that question uh, Jesus comes in as a representative of Israel, somebody who's going to restore the fortunes of Israel, uh, draw people into greater f- uh, faithfulness to God, and actually help people live out their calling to bring blessing to the world. And Jesus is the one, in, in many ways, who makes a story a happy story. Uh, when you watch a movie, you read a book, um, all sorts of tragedies and traumas can happen throughout uh, the entire story, but it's really the way that it ends that determines whether it's a happy story or not. And uh, Jesus is kind of really adding in the last chapter to the story to make this a happy story, to make all the sad things that uh, were all the tragedies uh, really have some type of meaning and redemption in them as well. And so Jesus, I think when he was uh, talking with these disciples, he was probably, you know, uh, talking about very specific passages in Scripture, but I think he was also probably really talking about how the resurrection is kind of this last chapter, something that creates... They're really connected with the hope and expectations that the disciples uh, solely clearly had on the road to Emmaus. Sometimes in in, uh, some of the commentaries uh, really debate, when did the disciples understand this? Did they understand it when he was on the road to Emmaus and uh, the meaning of the resurrection? Or did they understand this when they were in the breaking of the bread? And the answer is a little bit of both. When Jesus was opening up scripture to them, uh, it made a lot of sense that, uh, that the resurrection was the final chapter that they needed. But they didn't actually really realize Jesus was this person until the breaking of the bread. And so the resurrection is what uh, helps people understand the biblical story and their larger place in it. This leads to the last point uh, in our passage uh, that's revealed about the meaning of the resurrection, uh, and that is this that the resurrection brings us into relationship with Christ. And there's two different ways that we experience this. The first is that uh, this relationship with Christ is fostered through the hospitality of God. Let me read to you how Luke puts it in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Uh, what was happening, these men had spent the entire day with Jesus and they were talking about the resurrection, talking about scripture, and uh, they didn't recognize who Jesus was. And um, they had uh, Jesus over for dinner uh, later on. And uh, our passage says that they, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And this uh, language is found elsewhere uh, in the Gospels. And one of the places that it's used most previously was actually in the institution of the Lord's Supper. And uh, this is actually Lord's Supper kind of language. And so Jesus is taking a meal that he had literally just instituted days earlier and now enjoying it with uh, these, some of his followers. And what happens uh, when he does this is, of course, is they discover the identity of Jesus. And so here you have these followers of Jesus, his disciples. Uh, they're, um, they're enjoying this brand new meal with Jesus. They might have even been the first people to enjoy the Lord's Supper with Jesus since it was instituted, uh, which is really cool. These unimportant men enjoying the Lord's Supper for the first time. So, and uh, what, what was happening was that through this, they discovered who Jesus was, not just in a factual way, but an experiential, relational way as well. And the Lord's uh, Table is really about, in many ways, expressing the hospitality of God in our culture, to eat with another person is to express relationship with people. If you have somebody over for a meal, as probably many of you are doing or you're a participant that in some way this weekend or today even, uh, you're kind of pursuing some sort of relationship with them. We, this is sort of an, an intuitive, idea, intuitive idea that to eat with people is to find relationship with them. And this would have been uh, more acute in the first century uh, when you had a meal with somebody, especially in, in a Jewish context. Uh, it was a, a radically inclusive experience. It was a way of saying, hey, these are my people, and I'm with them, and I'm identifying with them. And when you had ritualistic meals as well, it became even more inclusive. It was really a way of saying, uh, these people have formal membership in the community that I'm a part of. And so Jesus, by uh, eating this meal with them, was a way of saying, hey, uh, you're part of my people, uh, this new, new people that I'm starting it's a way that they were experiencing uh, God's hospitality. The other part of what relationship with God looks like through the resurrection is not only God extending his hospitality into the world, but it's offering people to an opportunity to have a relationship with God uh, where they can uh, develop new patterns and new ways of imitating him. And uh, this is what it says in verse 26, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Uh, Jesus was in the middle of the conversation with these two men, and uh, they were recounting to him the events of the last few days, their expectations, their uh, unmet hopes. And what Jesus is telling them is, you don't really get it. You don't really get what my ministry was about. And he's saying that you think my ministry was about self-promotion, about me getting my own glory, about me striving and trying to grasp after things that make me important and give me weight and that glorify me. And he actually says there is something much different going on. There's actually a pattern. And that pattern is a pattern of suffering and then glory. Uh, You need to suffer some. Uh, There needs to be humility and unimportance. And then out of that comes glory. And uh, many commentaries agree that really this theme of suffering and glory is one of the main organizing themes of the Gospel of Luke. And one of the ways it's it's most expressed is in Luke's understanding of what discipleship looks like. Luke has a lot to say about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and central to this is the idea that uh, we need to live a life that's patterned after how God lived his life. God uh, didn't seek his own glory, his own importance, uh, but he suffered, and through that, the Father glorified him through the resurrection. And for uh, Christians and for followers of Jesus, they're called to something um, similar. And when I was thinking about this, uh, you know, what this imitation looks like, I had the dumbest example ever come to my mind, and it was uh, my two dogs. <laughs> and uh, we have an 11-year-old dog, and we have a new puppy. And the 11-year-old dog, uh, you know, she's, she's the queen bee. She knows what she's doing, what she wants. And um, the puppy is trying really, really hard to uh, please this 11-year-old dog. And so the puppy will, like, go on a walk and look around and then look at the, the older dog and see what she's doing and then make sure what she's doing is okay and kind of similar. And so the older dog has these weird habits where, like, she just goes nuts eating grass. And uh, if she's near, near grass, she'll just go crazy eating it. So the puppy has started watching this and now actually just goes completely nuts, chewing on grass any chance she gets, get, really trying to copy the older dog. The older dog is a, a girl dog. He goes to the restroom like a girl dog. And the younger dog is a boy dog, though, and actually goes to the restroom like a girl dog now. <laughs> kind, of, kind of cute and kind of funny. And so you have this, this experience of an, uh, kind of this disparity where the, the younger dog wants to imitate the older dog. And this notion of imitation is something that's all over the place. It's with our pets. It's in our families. It's in our workplace. All sorts of stuff. And it's, it's also supposed to be practiced in our relationship with God that we're supposed to think about God, we're supposed to observe him, watch him carefully, and then do what he does. And really the most acute example of who God is is the life of Jesus. And so we're saying, how does God act? How does he walk? Well, we look at the life of Jesus, and that's how we're supposed to pattern our lives after him. Well, this, uh, this glory that uh, Jesus received after his suffering uh, is uh, really not one he sought on his own, but it, it was gifted to him by his father. And the glorification uh, is actually his resurrection. And Jesus was raised from the dead and perfected to a new kind of life. And followers of Jesus are the same. Uh, They're called to uh, live their lives in a way that's humble and self-sacrificing and even involves suffering. And then there's glory. And the glory is not something that we generate on our own. It's something that the Father gives us. And just as Jesus found his glory through his resurrection followers of Jesus will also find their glory through a future resurrection. And what has been fundamental to the Christian faith is that our death is not the final chapter in our stories. And what Jesus is doing is he's coming to the world to complete his project of redemption and renewal. And when he does this, people who knew him and people who have gone on before us will be raised from the dead. And what we'll experience through this resurrection will be something that is very similar to what Jesus did. Jesus was raised from the dead, and through that, death lost its power on him. And what happened through Jesus? He was resurrected, and through that resurrection, he was vindicated and cleared of any of his wrongdoings. We experience the same thing. Through our resurrection, God's mercy towards us will be perfected and most on display. Death will have lost its power, in the ways that our bodies are subject, subject to decay, and the ways our hearts have spiritual entropy, the resurrection perfects and purifies our whole person, our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. And this is the glorification that we can expect, that after a lifetime of toils and missteps, there'll be one day where we're fully able to lay hold of God's mercy. Would God give us this hope today and always? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we bless you and give you thanks for the hope that is ours in Jesus, that he has died and risen and now rules over us. We bless you for his presence here with us now. It's in his name we pray. Amen.